Hi, I'm Nicole Davidson, and this is the Negotiation in Real Life podcast, the show where we take the lessons learned in real life negotiations to help you build your negotiation toolkit. We'll be hearing from lawyers, entrepreneurs, and senior business people about their best and worst negotiations. Negotiation is one of the most important skills for success in business and in life, but it's a skill we are rarely taught. For many of us, we develop our skills purely through trial and error. We see what works, discard what doesn't, and if we're lucky, we'll have a few good mentors along the way. In this podcast, we're going to give you access to an even greater range of negotiation mentors. Enjoy this episode and please reach out if you have any questions. On today's episode of the Negotiation in Real Life podcast, we'll be joined by Alex Martin. Alex is the founder of Taurus Legal Management and he is an experienced litigator as well as having managed a litigation funding business. We'll be talking about the differences between negotiations in those two roles. We'll also hear from Alex some examples of negotiations where changing the dynamics of who's in the negotiation have led to outcomes where previously things had been a little bit stuck. Thanks for tuning into the podcast and enjoy listening. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Alex, before we get into talking about negotiation and some of your experiences, I was wondering if you'd just like to tell our viewers a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. So I was admitted as a lawyer back in 2004. Um, and ever since I was admitted, I've specialised in, in commercial litigation. So that's disputes between business owners. Um, I started at a, what is now a national law firm and, uh, and then moved on to a litigation funder. So I actually moved to um, being a manager at a litigation funding company. So I funded litigation rather than running it. But I think that gave me a really unique perspective on, on running cases and what a winning case looks like and what running a case in a commercially successful way Um, looks like. Uh, And then I ended up the chief executive officer of that company. So I did that for six years and eventually wanted to start my own thing. I wasn't an owner of that company. and I thought uh, I'd like to try my hand at running my own small business. And so I uh, I did that and started uh, Taurus Legal Management back in 2005. And I've been uh, running it ever since. So that's a really interesting perspective because not only have you been involved in negotiations as a lawyer, um, and of course, a big part of being a lawyer is those negotiations, but you've actually been a business manager and, and had a whole range of other different negotiations as part of your career as well. When you look at sort of the variety of negotiations that you've had, what are some of the most challenging negotiations that you come across? Uh, so that's true. I've, I've had, I think, a perspective as a lawyer in court running cases, and then I've had a perspective as almost a professional client, because as a litigation funder, you're the the client in the, or you're, you're stepping in the shoes of the client, funding them and making sure the case is run in a commercial way. So um, I've had, I suppose, both those perspectives and really Taurus Legal Management was born out of that, that um, double role, uh, partly yeah. as a kind of seeing things from the client's point of view and the financial and the, the profit, you know, you need to run a litigation for a profit. And, uh, uh, and then partly, obviously, through the, the normal legal, knowing um, how to run a legal case as a lawyer. Um, in terms of interesting negotiations, it's very difficult for me to pick. Um, we've, I've had a lot of interesting negotiations. One that pops to mind, actually, that comes out of funding is, is uh, at the end of a mediation one time, um, we were very we were, uh, close to a settlement, but not quite there. 
and um, and there'd been various negotiations in the open session of the mediation. There'd been, and I was the funder, um, so I was there, in, you know, with the client and the lawyer, the legal team, you know, the barrister and the solicitor. And uh, at, towards the end, there was sort of this deadlock, as there often is, where you might be a couple of hundred thousand apart or whatever it is, cl- close close enough, um, but not enough to actually do a deal. And uh, and I ended up um, having a private meeting with the financier of the other side, so that's the um, uh, the bank, effectively, it was an insurance company, um, uh, of the other side privately, just myself and them, and said, look, if if we can settle before the end of financial year, then there's an incentive in it for us so we can discount by X amount. And nothing to do with the case, not, nothing to do with the issues, just really a practical point. You know, would you, would, would, can we meet halfway or whatever it was? And, uh, and that resulted in the settlement. And, uh, and you know, there was no legal argy-bargy at all. It was really just two business people doing a business deal who had no emotional involvement in the case and, and so on. So that sort of stands out to me as a bit of a, a kind of a lesson and also a lesson in, in um, trying, to, trying to think outside the box in terms of getting a settlement done, whether you meet, you know, with privately with the mediator or you meet, uh, you know, the, the two clients meet. In fact, I've got another story which I'll, I'll go into soon about, um, about where two clients met and had a beer in the street during lockdown. And it was a beer in the street that resulted in the settlement, not all of the work that I'd done as their lawyer. Um, so, look, there's lots of different mediation stories and lots of different interesting things that happen along the way that teach you lessons as you go. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, coming back to that story, I think, you know, once again, um, you know, what I'm, what I'm hearing is that, you know, and, and this is a really complex matter because you've got parties, you've got lawyers, you've got financiers of the litigation who all have their own sets of interests. And, you know, what, what I'm hearing from you is, you know, it's really important to understand the interests of all of those parties and know what their power is in the negotiation, because here it's ultimately the interests of the financiers and, and the, the benefits of getting something done before financial year end that made the difference. And as you said, you know, the legal arguments kind of fall to the side. When you look at that, and this came out at the process of mediation, as you said, you'd already had a long process. Looking back on that, is there anything that you um, do differently now to try and unpack some of those interests at an earlier stage? Yes, so so that's a good question. Certainly, I totally agree that you've got to look at the different interests of the different decision makers involved in litigation. And that might just be two people, two people who have both own companies and having a dispute, and and that's that. But it might be their husbands or wives, it might be their, um, their, you know, might be their barrister, it might be their friend, it might be they've got some informal advice or or they've got a mentor, you don't know. And I'd certainly, I certainly agree that understanding the interests of the parties, and I'd go beyond that to say understanding the real interests of the parties. Um, Sometimes it appears that the interest is, you know, they want $100,000 compensation for this breach of contract. But in fact, what they want is fair payment or what they want is an acknowledgement that they've worked very hard on the case or, um, uh, you know, and I know that even myself often I, you, you think you want something and in, in fact you want something slightly different. You don't realise until you really unpack it. Um, so to answer your question, I guess, is yes, we do now, I do as a result of experience, look at the interests of the parties much more carefully and much earlier than I would have previously. Find out a bit of background. Who are we talking about? Are we talking... I mean, I did one recently where, where we... Our client was a um, an older fellow who'd started a business, traditional sort of guy who'd started a business many, many years ago, been running it for his whole life, and eventually handed it over to his son-in-law. And then his son-in-law, um, uh, a, 
got divorced from the daughter and in, in this father's view treated the daughter very badly as part of the divorce and so um, no, and then ended up in a business dispute about the running of the business and our fellow was no longer a director, he was only a shareholder. Um, but no matter what we did in that litigation, it wasn't going to be enough for him because he really wanted blood because he felt that the son had, you know, had, had, had a girlfriend instead of, you know, had, had basically cheated on the, the yeah. daughter and so... Uh, there was nothing in the litigation that we could do that would sort of um, would, would would deal with the underlying interest or the underlying issue, which is that he was upset at his um, son-in-law for treating the daughter badly. Nothing to do with the litigation, you know. It wasn't yeah. a law case. It was a it was a commercial litigation about a bonus that this fellow had paid himself as the director. Actually, as the director, you're allowed to do a lot of things, and the shareholders have pretty limited rights. So our case wasn't that great. But what was really going on behind the scenes was a, was a totally different landscape and understanding that landscape is really critical to resolving the dispute, the, the legal dispute that, that, that's in front of you. That's really interesting. I mean, that's a great story. And I think, you know, that's a great illustration of when you get to some of these disputes where, you know, the, the legal remedies aren't actually what somebody wants and, and bringing those sorts of cases to mediation to give you the flexibility for remedies outside what a court could order is, is sometimes the way to get a better resolution for people and move them away from those legal arguments, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So certainly the court can only order a very limited range, well, a reasonably limited range of things and, and often can't address the real issue between the parties, whereas a, a mediation is much more flexible. And, and people, I think, feel like they own the outcome of a mediation. They feel like they made the choice yep. and they can see that as a victory, whereas if the judge tells you, you know, how it's going to be. I mean, you might see that as a victory, but often both parties see it as a loss because they, they both get called liars by the judge or, or whatever and, uh, and they don't appreciate that. Whereas in a mediation, you have more um, control. And, and, in fact, we've, I've found even outside of them, you might have the mediation and it, it goes, you know, you, you make some progress, but you don't actually settle it. But then the parties are able to settle it themselves armed with the knowledge that they got from the mediation. Yeah. The, or the you know the, the progress that they made or even they just really understood the issues better between themselves and were able then to take control of the process and settle it between themselves or you know with their lawyers or without their lawyers or whatever um, but we often have mediations that are unsuccessful in that they don't settle but then the matter settles shortly after or at a second mediation absolutely and and look i think one of the other things you know in a case like you've described there just the mere fact that the um, father-in-law had the opportunity to say his piece in a safe forum, that's often, you know, I think sometimes just the fact that somebody's gone into that mediation has been heard makes all the difference to to where they see the dispute and how um, strong their emotions are around it. Yes, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that you really have the individuals behind the dispute, so the, the clients, if you like, get to have their say or to get to participate in a much re- more meaningful way than they would in the litigation process where they're really mm-hmm. on the sidelines and often the lawyers are furiously writing letters to each other and doing all these legal things and the clients are a bit bewildered by it all and uh, know it's costing them a lot of money but aren't really sure short of just the faith they have in their lawyer, they aren't really sure how it's all going or what, mm. you know, and the lawyers then end up very focused on the legal issues 
um, for better or for worse, and uh, and uh, and not so much the substantive issues, which you can actually you can you can deal with much better in a mediation context or in some alternative dispute resolution process. Um, but that's yeah. it. I mean, the, it's the litigation process often that gets you to that that, that alternative dispute resolution process. Yeah, I think I think sometimes people have to go through a certain amount of pain mm -hmm. before they're ready to get to the next stage, don't they? It's almost mm -hmm. if you haven't gone through that, even though you get to a result you could have got to without all of that pain, they're just not psychologically ready for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm an I'm a litigation lawyer. That's what I do. Um, and most of the time, when I deal with disputes, they're well beyond the parties having any trust of one another, and they're well beyond the parties really meeting and having a helpful discussion without just slinging mud at each other. And the litigation process softens both parties up in that they they can see in a more um, practical way they can see what the the, the legal outcome is likely to be and they obviously both spend some money I think which makes them you know and some time passes and all of that which I think makes you um, changes your point of view certainly I think there's a kind of a natural emotional roller coaster you go through where you're really angry and upset at the start and then over time you calm down a little bit and a little bit more objective um, and I've certainly seen cases where you know the, the parties were really angry at each other and over time became angry at their lawyers yeah. <laughs> you know because their lawyers are, are still punching on and they've actually got over it whereas perhaps at the start they were they were were, were, were cranky at one another um, so uh, yeah it, it, it's, it's an interesting thing to sort of see um, and there's a real gap between often us as the professionals who do this every day it's easy for us to say oh don't take it personally or you know um, build build some trust with the other party or whatever but it's very difficult for them in their one-off dispute um, they're just acting like everyone does and in fact I've been involved in a litigation and I acted exactly like clients do so I can hardly complain when the clients do the things they do um, they uh, I had exactly the same experience I was very cranky at the start and over time I, I relaxed it's really interesting, and and I've I've spoken to a few mediators in the past who've had the same thing. You know, they're they're experts in resolving disputes constructively and collaboratively, and yet when they've got into their own issues, they've had that same thing because you know the problems that we're seeing with these disputes and and the emotions that come up are just natural human emotions, and it's it's much harder to control them and, and learn to um, manage some of those challenges because a lot of it is the, the psychological biases that we just can't stop. You know, and plenty of research has been done to show that, you know, there's some of these psychological biases, um, even when you know they exist, you still fall foul of them. And it really takes a third party to help you through that in a lot of ways. So it's really interesting. Yeah, well, I agree with that. I think that the psychological biases are all very well to identify, but you, you can't help but act um, act that way. That's sort of human nature. And, and I think a mediator particularly is very helpful in, in that they can hear both sides uh, and, and listen, um, whereas I think the court process is actually, the way it works often works um, to support those psychological biases. So you, you, you say myself and my client might be talking about the case and we're talking about all our great arguments and how we're going to win and, and looking at all the evidence that supports our case and so on. And we often, um, on one part of one side of the litigation, don't really properly look at the other side and say, well, look, if I was the other side, what would I be saying and whatever is there to support their side? And how did they, they might have come away from that conversation really hearing a different conclusion than what 
we heard. And beyond that, I often then, I'm spending my time convincing the other side of what a great case we have. And I've had times where I've told the client their case is weak and I've, I've argued with the other side saying how great our case is, which is part of my job as an advocate. And then uh, the clients come back to me and said, oh, we're definitely going to win. We, should, we, should, we shouldn't compromise at all. And I said, well, you're not, you're not <laughs> listening to me. And they, they, they've listened to my arguments and, and been convinced. So I'm very convincing, which is great. Uh, but, you know, you tend to, this, the, the legal process really supports um, these kind of biases. And I think the mediation process, much less so, the mediation process is much more open. And if you have a good mediator who can really listen to both parties and then come up with um, helpful solutions and listen to their interests and all of that, um, you're much more likely to re reach a resolution or at least progress towards a resolution. I tend to agree with you on that one. You said you had another story that you were going to share about. Um, I've, I've noted down the beer story. I'd love to hear more about that experience and, and what you've taken from that. Yeah, so that was a, a very interesting litigation in lots of ways. Um, it was a long-running, difficult litigation for a shareholder of a, a company who was a shareholder but really not involved in the management of the company. He certainly invested a couple of hundred thousand dollars in the company. He'd handed over money. That's what we mm -hmm. knew for sure. But the, the, whether that was an investment alone or a, a share purchase was up for grabs. There was no formal documentation. Um, there was a document that was circulated but never signed, as is often the case. There was a dispute as to whether he was a shareholder and then if he was a shareholder, what the shares were worth. Um, and he had a hunch that uh, the other side's real, going back to the interests issue, he had a hunch that the other side's real interests was to um, to uh, cover up their accounts because they were had been doing shifty things with their accounts to rip off that shareholder and other shareholders. Um, that was what the client's hunch was. And, uh, and we saw uh, a real resistance in the other side to providing any company documents. And so we sort of seized on that in that uh, it showed that perhaps the client's hunch was right. And, uh, and we did, we made a preliminary discovery application and, and they fought it very hard. And the fact that they fought it very hard made us even more suspicious. And then eventually we... Um, we got some documents which did show there was some some um, some something untoward going on with the accounts, although not as much as we'd hoped. But then we were seeking further documents, and we had a mediation. And at the mediation, um, we were were unable to settle. Uh, the client wanted one point five million dollars for the litigation, and uh, in my view, it was worth maybe six hundred. Um, maybe eight hundred at best, but I thought one point five was way over the odds. Well, I couldn't get instructions to offer you know, 500, 600, um, the client wanted his, his million bucks and the other side said, forget it. And then, uh, and then we pursued these further documents after the mediation and, uh, and then the clients met in, um, just between themselves in the street, had a beer and, uh, and settled on $1.5 million as the amount that they would pay our fellow for his $200,000 investment. So great outcome for our client. And, and I think there was two things going on. One is their real interest was to protect the company financials because there was probably more going on there that they didn't want anyone to know. And the other thing was that I think the other fellow that really, like so many, particularly men, um, wanted to have a win in his mind and he wanted to be in control of the win. And I think if he'd accepted at the mediation sum figure, he would have felt kind of that he lost to, to me or to us. And um, whereas having this beer discussion, even though he paid a lot more money, I think he felt that he had control of that offer and that he was helping out his, what was previously a good friend of his and that he was doing the right thing by him and that he decided to make the offer himself and he was in control. So he could classify that in his own mind as a win, which I think is really important and comes up a lot, particularly with kind of old fashioned men. I mean, women too, but you know, it's a sort of this, 
you got to you got to feel like you you beat the other side, and uh, if you can hand them the win in a way that that gets you what you want, then what do you care? You know. And yeah. So I think this. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a strategy by us to to to, to give him that win. I think it was really yeah. um, just the way things turned out. But it was a lesson in me that for, for me that you've got to hand the other side a win. You've got to understand their interests and then give them a win in order to get a good outcome. And this outcome was absolutely fabulous. Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's exactly what there's a great book by William Urey, and he talks about building a golden bridge for the other side. And it comes into play where maybe somebody's put a put their foot down and said, this is my best offer, but you need more than that. So you've got to find ways and the way that you can try and help them to actually move away from an entrenched position, but still save face and protect their ego, which is often at the heart of these things is really important. Explaining that circumstances have changed or taking it offline where other people aren't witnessing this um, event, which is what's happened here can be really powerful. And, And that idea about the real interests as well. And, you know, it came up earlier and what we're saying, you know, that's the challenge. And of course, you know, nobody in a negotiation is going to say to you, well, actually, we can't, you know, we don't want to do this because we're, we're hiding information from the tax office or whatever other reasons they might have had. But once again, I think as a, as a repeatable strategy, when you've got those inklings, it's actually finding ways to test them and putting offers on the table that might involve, you know, in this case, it might be an offer say, well, if you make your books available, we could potentially accept a much lower offer and, and seeing how strong uh, those interests are. So I talk about, you know, using those kind of um, not really conditional offers, but actually, you know, putting something on the table that you go, well, I'm going to test whether this is true, because if they don't accept this, then it says to me what they're saying isn't right. Um, And so that's a really nice technique to use in some of those cases where you just, your gut's telling you something's going on, but they're not going to admit it, Mm -hmm. um, is is creating that sort of uh, option to put out there can work really well. That's a real learning for me that I'm learning right now from you, which is which is great. In that it hadn't occurred to me, even though I've been doing this for 20 years, it hadn't occurred to me to make a conditional offer based on providing the documents. We we um, took up a, a more legalistic strategy, which was to press for, for for discovery of documents based on you know the shareholders' entitlement to documents and so on, and, and that was successful. But it was actually probably relatively expensive making the application, and and um, and, and of course you know fraught with risk. You, you may well lose your application. So um, so making a conditional offer would probably get us to the same outcome, but uh, it might be a bit cheaper and a bit more telling, I suppose. Yeah, and look, I think this is the thing, isn't it? You know, and I always say to people, because you're you're a highly experienced lawyer, you've been negotiating for a long time um, and do it very successfully. And yet negotiations can become so complex that sometimes there is just an element that you haven't thought about. And, you know, this is where I say to people, everyone negotiates well. It's the difference between doing a, a great job and an exceptional job is actually having that complete system to bring around it. And sometimes it takes a third party who's not as ensconced in the the content. And as you said, you know, often the legalities and the, the litigation process of, of it can can blind you to other options. So you know, I think it's 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 interesting to think about how that fits with lawyers and how you pull yourself out from that litigation perspective sometimes to take that more open-minded view, I guess, of, of what the dispute yeah. is. It's, it's a real challenge. Yeah, in my career, there's certainly been a move um, um, towards, you know, more actively 
um, judge managed lists. So, you know, so, so the, the judges, when I sort of started litigating, really the barristers, it was up to the barristers to, to run the case how they sort, thought was fit and the judges weren't very involved, whereas uh, over the years the judges become much more active and had much more involvement in directions, hearings and all of that. And I think that's a move in that direction in that you have the, the third party who's the judge um, yeah. getting involved in the decision-making and, 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 you know, making it easier for the parties to have have interim um, discussions or, or, or directions hearings or or even interim orders made about discovery and so on. Um, although I'd say that that process, although it's quite helpful, it, it, ultimately a judge is still very ensconced, to use your word, in the legal pro process. Yeah. I mean, the judge is, is still very going to be taking a very legalistic approach to the whole thing, whereas a mediator or some other third party, an arbitrator or, 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 or even an independent expert that you've agreed are much less likely. Um, it does require some level of trust. And I just did one recently where we said, well, look, an early mediation would be very suitable. Uh, and the other side said, well, we can't tell you whether we're available for a mediation for at least six weeks. And we said, well, why is that? And they said, well, we're not telling you. So we're in a position where we wanted a mediation. It was very sensible to have a mediation. The, 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 there wasn't a lot of money at stake. And, uh, and I think there was the underlying interests of the parties really were just that they'd been upset and there'd been some public sort of humiliation of one party. They said, well, we're not even tell you whether we're available and we're not going to tell you why we can't tell you whether available and so you know in that context what are you supposed to do so you've got to litigate so we we sued and then you know, we it, ended up it's with... interesting uh, look well, I, mean, yeah, once again, I, I have a perspective yeah. on that yeah. um and, and and it's a bit unusual because i think you know one of the takes that i get as well is that mediation is seen in a particular way in the legal profession but what i've had done with with a few cases like these where they're early what i term early intervention pre-litigation yes is I've been contacted by one of the parties to um, seek my interest in mediating the dispute. Yes. And when they've gone to the other party to put it forward, they've said, no, not interested. I've then gone and had the conversation with the other party to try and get something out of them. Once again, bringing that independent third party in at an earlier stage, because as you said, they're, they're, they're telling you, well, we're not even in a position to do this for X amount of time, but we're not going to explain why. Yes. Um, there can be a chance if the if the mediator is able to build rapport with that second party early, they may be able to figure out what's going on to perhaps actually change their mind. Right. Or, you know, once again, there's confidentiality, but you might be able to go back as the mediator and say, um, in this position to use, say, look, you know, I've had a conversation, they have explained what's possible. It is a legitimate reason. Um, that's all I can say. But, you know, this might be the next process. And at least you're getting some, maybe some agreement to something down the track. Mm. Mm. Um, so, so there's always that option, I guess, of bringing someone in. Yes, well, that, that's a great idea. I mean, in this case, it might have been that this fellow's, you know, wife was sick. We don't know. And, yeah. it, you know, some, some personal issue that we'd be perfectly happy to wait. Um, but the fact that they didn't say what it was we sort of said, well, that sounds like a delay tactic, which perhaps it was, yeah. we don't know. And so we issued a proceeding. And then, of course, what happens in a proceeding? You issue the proceeding, you spend a bunch of money doing your pleadings, which is, you know, your court documents. Then you, you spend a bunch of money doing your discovery. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe by then you have a better idea of the issues. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. And then um, and then you have your court-ordered mediation, you know, which you could have had up front. And, and often, you know, the discovery and the pleading doesn't really clarify a whole lot. Sometimes it does. Um, depends on the case. But there's lots of cases around where the, the issues 
issues are obvious and the, the, the documents are in everyone's possession already. So the discovery, and we, in fact, in that case, we said, well, can we do the mediation without the need for discovery? And the other side said, no, we want full discovery from you. So we provided discovery and then you know what they did? They didn't provide discovery. <laughs> so, 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 I mean, I don't know if it was, we were just, it was a particularly difficult, whether the other side, the client was difficult or whether a particular lawyer was difficult or, or whatever, um, but it was, it was a hard fought sort of thing to get to the point of a mediation where we could have been at the start anyway. But I think your idea is a good one that you could have at least spoken to them um, and seen, you know, and, and maybe that'd work, maybe it wouldn't, but it'd certainly be worth a try. It's a re relatively low cost thing to do um, and to do, you know, early on. I mean, the reality is there's a lot of litigation that goes on out there that's uncommercial in, in that the amount in dispute is not worth it or, or ultimately what you end up doing is fighting over the cost of the litigation more than anything else because it's got so far. Absolutely. And I've seen that be the stumbling block in many a mediation. It's no longer about the substantive issues. It's about who's going to pay for all the legal costs that each of them have incurred because they both think the other party's been unreasonable in the, in the legal process. Yes. Certainly for small businesses, the, um, the dispute resolution service provided by the Victorian Small Business Commissioner is fantastic. The VSBC has been very busy with uh, rent relief applications through COVID, but it does much more than that. I think the rent relief is a good example in that usually you've got a tenant and a landlord who don't hate each other. <laughs> you know, they, they just, they're both in a difficult position. Um, and I think with, with litigation or with dispute resolution, it's a horses for courses thing. If, you, if you're dealing with a dispute over a small amount of money and civility, then the parties yeah. can have a mediation and off they go. And that's that's a great outcome. Um, yeah, but you know, the ones I deal with often, they're, they've, they're, they've been slinging mud at each other for some time already and they absolutely hate each other's guts. And um, um, the litigation process helps to clarify and get to the point of perhaps a compulsory mediation and that, that's the place to settle it. Or it's really you've got to pick the, the, the right method and approach for the right matter. Although, as I say, you know, and, and once again, I think because I've been doing a lot of the VSBC mediations and as you say, you've got those ones who just have got stuck, but the relationship is good and they're fine. And then you've got the other ones. And, and I think the biggest turning point often in those mediations is when you realise that by focusing on um, causing pain to the other one and, or not letting them get away with something, they're actually hurting themselves. And um, one of the quotes I pull out on a very regular basis, which I absolutely love, it's a quote from Buddha that says, holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Mm. Yes, I've heard that one. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked quite a lot about different sorts of negotiations. Now, as I said, as a lawyer, you've obviously developed these skills over time. What has been the most important thing for you to do through your career to develop your negotiation skills? I think, I mean, I've had some formal training and I think that was very helpful in that it, it helps often it's the, the, the training is around things that you already do and already understand. And I think even between you and I, sometimes I've said, oh, we did this and you say, oh, well, there's a book on that. I haven't read the book, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you, you've had the, 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 the training on, you know, and certainly having a level of training helps to identify the steps in the dispute resolution, you know. Um, so I think formal training has really helped. And I'd say uh, overall just prepare, 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 prepare. Um, just prepare a lot. So, so spend, you know, half a day a day before a mediation or before an important discussion, um, going through all of the issues, putting yourself in the other party's shoes, trying to understand what's going on with the decision makers, do the background. Um, it's really, you, you win a, a, a dispute, so you win in court and you win in a mediation, if you, if you want to call it that, you resolve a mediation before you walk in the door. 
Yeah. And I'm sure there's probably a, there's probably a quote about that from from, uh, from <laughs> there is a little from research study. Yeah, Buddha. there is <laughs> yeah. apparently 80 percent of the success of the negotiation comes from what happens before you walk through uh, the door, yeah. according to yeah. to one study that I cannot tell you whose it is at the moment. Yes, yeah. right. Well, I mean, even with the mediations, I'd say, and I know you do this, which is fantastic, is have this early discussion with the parties because a lot of mediators don't do that. A lot of mediators I've been dealing with for years, they just turn up on the day, they read the material that morning or that the night before and they turn up and they might do a half decent job but it's the early discussion that helps plant the seeds for the for the resolution you might say have you thought about this have you, you know you, you can you can hide your documents from the other side if you pay them a bit extra money or whatever it is and they say oh I didn't think of that and, and they might disagree with you at that time or not be ready for it but by the time the mediation flows around they're ready because you planted that seed and that sort of thinking and also introduce yourself and showing that you're you know you're open-minded and that you're listening to them and that you're on you know you're not not on their side but you're not uh, uh that you're, you're you're invested in resolving the dispute with their interests at heart um yeah. and that that early discussion makes a, a big difference so certainly yeah it's get be prepared is is and i mean and that's in, in life generally <laughs> um, <prepared laughs> it is well you got to be ready for anything so when the mediation happens or the court hearing happens or the judge asks you that question you say oh I, I, you know i was ready for it and yeah. unfortunately that means sometimes you go into court and you, you you've got you've spent a lot of pre preparation the judge doesn't ask you anything and you sit down you win you sit down and you're a bit disappointed <laughs> I, I often say to people that that's a risk in negotiations as well. You spend all the time preparing, yeah. you go in and you say, this is what we'd like. And they say, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did a mediation just recently with, a, it was an employee issue and uh, we'd asked for something and the other side and said, no, and we said, well, let's meet to discuss it. And then when we turned up, they just started telling us how they were doing, they'd agreed to do the thing that we'd asked. And I said, hang on, that's the thing we asked that you said no. Now you're saying yes, is that is that right? And they said, Yes. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, that was great because that was that was half a day of prep down the down the toilet. I could have just turned up and then not been ready at all. But of course, it was you know it was it's the being ready that makes you win the case. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the day that you haven't prepared that you go in and they don't offer you what you'd asked, and it's a difficult yeah. negotiation, and and that's where you fail, isn't it? Yeah. So Alex, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. So thank you very much for your time. Is there anything that you'd like to leave um, listeners with or um, any contact details if they'd like to reach out to talk to you about some of their disputes that might need some assistance with their negotiations? Oh, yes. So if you, if you Google Taurus Legal Management, you'll find us. And, and by all means, uh, if, if there's any uh, disputes that you have or any concerns about perhaps a dispute bubbling away or, or you're worried about a relationship or whatever, please feel free to contact us for a free chat. Um, uh, the, the, probably the lesson that I would leave everyone is that in, in, a, in any dispute, you've got to really understand what's going on behind the scenes why is someone really upset is it is it the legal issue is it the money is it that they feel humiliated is are they you know what's really going on and how do you address that at a person to person level uh, and then uh, and then that gives you the best chance of actually resolving your dispute and, and moving on with your life and having a happy life because disputes are, are no good for anyone i think that's the ultimate goal for everyone thanks very much alex it's been a pleasure thanks nicole appreciate it Thanks for listening to this episode of the Negotiation in Real Life podcast. If you've taken away some great tips from this episode, I'd love to hear about it. So please connect with me via my website or LinkedIn. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to learn more tips to improve your negotiations, head to our website, nicoledavidsonnegotiation.com.au, where you can follow my blog, watch presentations and download resource sheets. 
And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you get every episode as it comes out. If you have an interesting negotiation story that you'd like to share with my audience, head to the website and complete a guest application. Until the next episode, happy negotiating.